For more than 100 years, the malty aroma of beer brewing could be smelled wafting out of the beautiful brick and limestone building that still stands, sitting nestled behind Alton, Illinois' city cemetery. It's in this historic building where a once thriving establishment, one that survived the devastating impact of Prohibition and the Great Depression, served its local community by sharing its craft, steeped in the rich brewing traditions brought by German immigrants until its last call in 1952. In this episode, we will explore the rise and success of Alton's Bluff City Brewery with Robert Jourdain, whose great-grandfather bought the brewery in 1883. So, whether you're a beer aficionado or someone who enjoys stories about small-town America, grab your favorite brew, sit back, and enjoy learning about Alton's oldest watering hole. This is Behind the Bricks, stories from the inside. I'm your host, Stephanie Young. Alton's first brewery, which would later become Bluff City Brewery, is located on the city's outer edge on what is now Pearl Street. It was established in 1842 by Philip Yackel, who learned the craft of brewing beer in his native Germany. I meet Robert on the porch of the original main building of the brewery, a stunning limestone structure with caves built under its backside to help keep the beer cold. This is probably some kind of cold storage. And then this is, of course, this was storage. There's two... And I think they're over there, two, two underground storage areas uh, that the temperature kind of remained constant. And then uh, like two deep and then two high above that and uh, for, for storage. Yackel and his partner, Jacob Haas, advertised themselves as Union Brewery. In 1883, William Netzhammer, Robert's great-grandfather, bought the business, which was now named Bluff City Brewery. William was also from Germany and worked in his father's brewery before coming to the United States. In 82, 1882, my great-grandfather, Wilhelm, who was a brewmaster at Anheuser-Busch, came over here to Alton and bought this brewery from the Yackel family. And then somewhere along the line, you know, if it was before that or after that, he sent to Germany uh, for a lady named Catherine Eck to come over here and marry him. So, and then they had seven kids, the oldest, William, my grandfather, then uh, second, Minette, then Henry, Emil, Rose, Ernie, and Frida. William and his large family eventually moved into what was known as the Yackel House, which is a beautiful home located right next door to the brewery, which, along with the brewery, was listed in the National Register of Historic Places. And the house, of course, came with the brewery, Somewhere in the mid-30s, J.J. Woolner Construction kind of remodeled the house. That's when it probably got its air conditioning, which makes it the first air-conditioned house in Alton. And I think the Grand Theater was the first building to be air-conditioned. With William Netzhammer at the helm, Bluff City Brewery thrived. In 1890, Netzhammer broke ground on a new $14,000 building, which is equivalent to half a million dollars today. He also announced the brewery would begin manufacturing ice in order to cool its storage cellars, but also to sell to the community. The brewery operation quickly turned into a family affair. Harry became assistant manager and brewmaster. Emil became foreman of the bottling department, 
and Ernest and Rose were bookkeepers. Robert's grandfather, William Jr., was sent to a fermentology institute in Chicago to prepare to become head brewmaster. Business was booming and the beer was flowing, and then suddenly, everything came to a grinding halt. Prohibition hit the nation on January 17, 1920, banning the manufacturing, transportation, and sales of alcoholic beverages. Bluff City's only other competition in Alton crumbled during the nearly 13 years of Prohibition. But miraculously, Bluff City Brewery was able to hang on by selling ice, root beer, and a near beer called Special Brew, which only contained a small percentage of alcohol. Now, being the only brewery in town following the end of Prohibition, Bluff City was on track to regain its stride. In the years following, the Nutshammers built several new buildings to where there were 13 buildings total and were on their way to reach their goal of increasing capacity by 50%. Robert shows me where some of these well, new buildings were and explains a bit more of the operation. Of course, that was the modern bottling uh, operation probably built after Prohibition. And they had uh, a modern bottling machinery with the waxed cardboard bifold lid cases. And uh, I think it all came from Crown Zellerbach in St. Louis. As a matter of fact, they didn't call them bottle caps, they called them crowns. And uh, so that was probably built after 33, something like that. And, uh, and then this, uh, over here, it's now gone, was the brew house. There was a big copper kettle in there, I mean really big. And then there were three boilers behind there that created steam to cook the beer. Later on, there was a stable where that building sits, and they changed that into one larger boiler to cook the beer. So anyway, it came underground there's a tunnel under here that goes over there uh, to put the, you know, for the beer to go into the bottles. So, and then, of course, this in here, I think, was the wash house. And if you could see the floor, I think you'd find round places in the floor where the barrels sat when they'd get washed, you know, so it probably wore the concrete away over time. Uh, it used to be all covered with cork insulation. You know, and then a lot of that fell down. He goes on to tell me how greatly respected the brewery was by the community and how much they enjoyed the beer. <laughs> then my wife had an uncle from, I think it was Buffalo or somewhere in New York, and he'd come to town. The first thing he wanted when he got off the train was a Bluff City beer. So, you know, uh, there's that kind of stuff. And then people would, uh, you know, the huge glass plant, uh, a lot of people that worked there lived up around here. And they used to have out on the loading dock out front here was a little enclosure and you could go there and for 10 cents they'd fill a pitcher with beer. And uh, so people said, well, my kid had come down with a pitcher out of the icebox with a plate out of the icebox. And then they'd fill that with beer and he'd keep that plate on there until he got home. When I got home, I'd have beer with my dinner, you know, supper, whatever. As was the case with many small town breweries, Sales began to see a decline after World War II, and Bluff City Brewery was no exception. That, on top of the refrigerating systems failing, and the lack of desire from family members to continue in the brewing trade, in 1952, the Nutshammer family decided to close the brewery. 
But Robert tells me the legacy of Bluff City Brewery is certainly not lost. Many of the brewery's artifacts have been preserved. There was an enclosure with stained glass windows and a roll-top desk, and that was my grandfather, who was the brewmaster, uh, William Netzhammer. Uh, and he had an office here and then an office, of course, over in the office building. And uh, I got that roll-top desk out of here and restored it at one time. But now it's in the hands of, of uh, my uh, cousin's son, which I call Billy Five, <laughs> William the Fifth. <laughs> he also tells me he even has an unopened bottle of a Bluff City Brewery beer, complete with his original label of the old Alton Lock and Dam. Some of the labels listed Alton Lake water as the main ingredient which is funny because Alton doesn't have a lake. Most likely, this was a conscious decision because lake water sounds much tastier than Mississippi River water, which was the real source of their main ingredient. It's also fun to note that Alton's current local brewery, Old Bakery Beer Company, has a Bluff City lager on tap, made from an original Bluff City brewery recipe, unfiltered Mississippi water excluded. Robert and I sit in the middle of the main building, which is now used as storage for a local furniture store, Frontier Furnishings. The smell of barley and hops now replaced by the smell of cedar and pine. The plaster on the curved entryways crumbling, exposing the brick walls behind. The rounded windows now boarded up, streaks of sunlight trying their best to break through. Even though it looks much different than when Robert's family owned it, it's still beautiful, its foundation still strong, forever cemented in Alton's history. Robert reflects quietly. Yeah, I always wish I could see it. I've got a picture. Uh, I think it was taken in 31, uh, and it shows, you know, pretty much all of this. Uh, but um, it's different now. It's different. Um, but uh, I always thought I would really like to see this in operation, say, turn of the century, when the beer left here in wooden barrels on horse-drawn wagons, and then again after Prohibition, when they were bottling the beer and it left in trucks and in, in, uh, cases. So would have been really, really cool to see that. I asked Robert if he has any favorite memories from stories passed down by his family. He does. They used to go to Chicago uh, in later years to the brewing convention. And uh, one story they would tell was uh, they'd go to Chicago to these conventions and uh, at that time Bluff City didn't make a dark beer and so they thought well we'll we'll put some food coloring in our regular golden pilsner and turn it dark and enter the Bach beer whatever it is contest well they won the contest and of course that was a they laughed about it all the way home on the train so anyway that's <laughs> cheers I'll raise a glass to that Behind the Bricks is written, edited, and produced by me, Stephanie Young, in collaboration with Alton Odyssey Tours. Theme music by Dale Lewis. Special thanks to Robert Jourdain. 